Welcome to the Coach Mike podcast. I have a special guest today who is uh, an emergency room doctor. Her name is Dara Cass, and she's a mother of three, lives in New York, uh, was working in the emergency room and has come up positive for COVID-19. I thought there was no one better to have a discussion with than someone who understands medically what's going on, happens to be a parent, and also came up positive themselves. So uh, a lot thrown at her and really curious how she's dealing with everything. So welcome to the podcast, Dara. Thanks for having me, Mike. So tell us a little bit about you and and what your life kind of looked like leading up to testing positive. Okay, so a couple of things. Um, so I'm an emergency medicine doctor by training. I've been an ER doctor for longer than I want to admit, I guess, based on my current hair color, but probably close to 20 years. Um, and I was actually working part-time in the ER before this. I do a lot of work on gender advocacy and I travel a lot and I have three kids. And so I was working a few shifts a month. Um, you know, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we all started pivoting, uh, knowing that this was about to hit our healthcare system pretty hard and that watching what was happening in China and then in Italy, we really saw that there was about to be an escalation in America especially as it hits emergency departments. So I, like a lot of my colleagues, started looking around at my life and figured out how I needed to reframe my life. And the more complicating factor for me is that I have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old. But my 8-year-old, when he was 2 years old, had a liver transplant. And so he's immune compromised. And so although this virus, everyone likes to talk about how the kids are vectors and that they're not sick and they don't get affected, you know, there's no good data on how transplant kids do with this. Um, and knowing that the data from China and Italy told us that the healthcare workers were getting infected at a much higher rate than anyone else, I actually moved my kids out of my house um, before I actually was exposed. And so they've been living with my parents for about a week and a half. And so um, I, so that goes back to once we moved them out, uh, I had been seeing patients on the computer telemedicine to help really decompress a lot of the patients that were nervous about this, uh, patients that were having a cough or maybe a fever, but didn't really meet criteria to be tested anywhere. And then I went and went to my first in-person shift in the ER uh, and wound up uh, taking care of a bunch of patients that most likely had it, a lot of whom we didn't test either. Uh, and the, the next day, literally, so by Monday, I started having symptoms myself. And then I got tested by Wednesday night. I did a telemedicine appointment for myself to uh, talk to a doctor about my symptoms. And by Thursday, I was tested and had the results. And so you you went back Saturday Sunday and you felt the symptoms within 24 hours? It seems that way. I mean, it's a little impressive, actually. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Uh, but I started having symptoms on Monday and, you know, I wasn't even sure. I was worried they were sympathy pains, actually, that I was like basically like a non-pregnant husband. I was seeing so many patients that had these symptoms that I was starting to feel the cough and start feeling the muscle pains. And I actually was felt a little guilty about getting tested. Um, and what was, what was the first symptom you feel like was happening, but then your brain was like, nah, maybe I'm overreacting or. So I, uh, so Monday morning, I'd woken, woken up after working like five days of telemedicine and then two days in the ER, moving my kids out of my house just like processing all of this anxiety. Um, and I woke up and I couldn't walk. 
And I was like, wow. wow, I am manifesting this like real, this process in a very real way. You know, my legs are so tired and I can't walk and I don't know what's going on. So I'm just going to like use a foam roller and I'm going to do a yoga video and I'm just going to try to like feel better because I have to see Work more patients later. Right. I, like I was like, damn, I'm out of shape, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I just, that got progressively worse. And then I saw all of a sudden had a cough. And I was like, okay, muscle aches and fatigue and a cough. What kind of cough was it? It's a dry cough. So I can, if I talk long enough, you'll hear it. But it's like a <coughs> cough. Um, right. That is, if I take a deep enough breath, it it totally triggers the cough. Um, and that cough was persistent. And I was, I started seeing patients even on telemedicine with the cough and they were complaining of cough. And I'm like, you mean like this? And they're like, yeah, like that. And I'm like, you probably be, probably both have it. Did you move to telemedicine recently or is that just always been a part of your practice? Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of telemedicine. I actually, I've done it for years in lots of different ways. Uh, and I think it's a great innovation that helps patients where they are. Uh, it's a great way to help people not have to go to the doctor. It's good for the system. We see patients all the time when they're at work and they just yeah. have a, like a question. So I had been doing a lot of it beforehand and it just became super useful in this moment. Yeah, we uh, we started doing telehealth at a, I own a treatment center. So um, it's been interesting because a lot of the clients, you know, they struggle already with depression, isolation, anxiety. And then we're having to provide treatment without ever seeing them in person now, which we're having to get really creative with solutions for people when they're in their own homes. Right. Um, and what would you say in terms of telemedicine is the big difference? What, what's kind of the, the benefit or the challenge with doing telemedicine? So I think telemedicine requires a certain... I, I have a pretty large personality. It's both a benefit and a risk of what I do or whatever. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways, that's really good for telemedicine because you can make somebody feel safe and comforted without actually being in the same room with them. So mm. a lot of times patients will call and their medical need isn't as much as their like psychosocial need to feel like they're not crazy or that their symptoms are real or that they should or shouldn't take a medication. And if you can kind of assuage that fear quickly or answer the question they have about the health system or give them the prescription that they were almost afraid to ask for, but they didn't, you know, cause they wanted not to bother you. If you can do that in a moment, it, it like solves a huge problem that would have otherwise been in the system because a lot of times people don't even know where to go for their like mm. healthcare issue. And so when you put it in their fingertips and then you can make them feel comfortable through a computer uh, it's really very helpful. And are you seeing an increase in people uh, contacting you specifically for COVID-19? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are um, hundreds fold increase in telemedicine visits across, especially New York City. Uh, and that's good. Right. So one of the things that was really important when this was when this was ramping up and one of the things that I was really vocal with on social was that telemedicine as a resource would be the big like decompression agent for people otherwise going afraid to the emergency department, right? Mm -hmm. We knew based on the data out of China and Italy that we couldn't have all these relatively well people coming to the ER, asking for tests, checking on their symptoms. And most of that could be done, you know, with a video visit. And so by keeping that portal open and making it available to people, it's the reason that the administration 
supplemented the payments for that. And that it's at the state level in New York, they made those video visits free. Um, and it has to do with the idea that that's what we want people seeking care in the first level. So we know who to send over to the ER. You're a doctor. And so where do you go in order to get the most accurate information about COVID-19? So I go to, ironically, this is, I go to my trusted Twitter sources, which is not the same thing as going to Twitter. <laughs> and right. I think that's really important. So I have, and I use that because it's the fastest newsfeed that I have that gets current information out there, articles that are being processed through China or Italy or other national sources. Um, I don't get my information. I actually... So I don't get my information from the federal press conference right now, but I do get a lot of my information from our state level press conference as well, um, because I find that that's local or information that I need to manage the patients that are going to call me in New York. There is a desperate need for answers to questions that people have, and we don't have a lot of those answers. And unfortunately, there are people with very large platforms, including the president, who enjoy solutions. And sometimes those solutions, when you put them out without the, 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 the respect for the downstream effects can be even more dangerous um, in, their, in their downstream effects. So one of the really important thing is how does immunity work, right? So I have the virus right now. When mm -hmm. am I considered immune? Why? Because mm -hmm. I need to go back out and take care of more patients. Right. And we're building and your post. kids and, and you have kids. I need to get them back in my house. If I'm immune, right. Maybe they could come home. Because then mm -hmm. I'm not a risk to give it to them again, right? Because I've already gotten through that phase. That would be amazing. I can't. I don't have that answer. And the people that are supposed to be giving me those answers aren't giving me those answers right now. Because unfortunately, again, and as we look at the landscape of um, the way decisions are being made at different layers of leadership, the, one of the first things we principles we know is that our federal leadership right now does not like bad news, right? They don't want to publicize things that make them look bad. Now, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they are, we're looking at information that's their fault, right? But knowing how many people who are infected in America is scary. Mm -hmm. And so we spent a lot of time not testing people, which doesn't mean the infections weren't there. It just meant that we didn't get ahead of them. How many guess? What's your what's your guess on how many people are actually infected? I mean, I have no idea. I really don't. What I know is that easily, easily, ten to one or twenty to one of the tests that we're doing versus the tests that I could be doing. I'm wondering, even in general, when somebody has, I don't know, the flu or. Uh, any any sort of medical condition, what are the odds uh, of cases that people say, you know, that they go in and get tested versus people that just get well at home in general? Like We don't is, know. Like the amount of emotional anxiety people are holding on to, not knowing if they're going to get it and if they get it, how sick they're going to get. If mm -hmm. we could then have an entire population of people that think they had it, go to a lab, find out they're immune, and then be part of the workforce, the helper workforce, the immune workforce, the people that could go out then and right. deliver food to elderly people, that could make sure that young people are staying in their homes, that could walk around our parks and say, hey, you guys really need to stay six feet apart. Regular old you know, community helpers, right? Who know that they're immune, 
There are so many ways that could be useful in a society that's trying to survive through what is a really unknown and scary time. And, and through this all, like, what's your greatest fear um, in the position you're in? We are going to, we are about to have a healthcare workforce that has to make choices about who lives and who dies before the person is dying. And that is a really, really scary thing. Um, because we know from Italy and from China that without the appropriate federal leadership and forethought, once you hit a critical mass of sick people, the choice isn't yours anymore. Mm. And every trajectory we're seeing in um, um, all the studies show that New York City is about to be one of those places. And in the next couple of weeks. And that's really scary um, and sad. And what do you think the solution is? I think that we're doing what we can right now um, as far as, uh, you know, first of all, supporting each other is critically important, right? So the healthcare workforce supporting each other, the regular people out there, you know, going out at eight o'clock and saying thank you to doctors and nurses is also going to be really important. Um, realizing that we're all human and that the kind of experience of being a doctor or a nurse or a healthcare worker at this time is going to be challenging, but leaning into that. And knowing that we need each other and knowing that we have to talk about our experiences in New York, we have an extraordinary governor who's doing an extraordinary job and um, is able to mobilize resources locally and at the state level. But the missing piece right now is federal leadership. Uh, and I say that. Yeah. Um, so when you talk about federal leadership and that's what's really needed right now, what what you're talking about is the messaging and the. Um, kind of collective of we're all in this together or what is what is kind of the messaging that you think needs to shift? It's not just messaging, it's action, actually. So the two things that I really like to see and I think that are, is um, honesty, acknowledgement that this is scary, realizing mm -hmm. that we are all hitting something unprecedented. None of us are expecting a magic fix, right? In a lot of ways, the humility that this is overwhelming and that we're in this together would be fully refreshing. But there's a lot of kind of like, it's this glossing over that somehow it's going to be, it's not that bad, right? Most people mm -hmm. are going to be okay. Like, how do you, when you're on the ground and seeing people who can't breathe die, but somebody from a podium is saying, but don't worry, it's not that bad. We've done a great job. It, this is not political. This is, this is very personal. You feel like there's a disconnect between what you're seeing in front of you and the choices you have to make and what somebody is saying you're supposed to be seeing. You're supposed to be seeing most people do fine. You're supposed to be realizing that everyone's having a, you know, is, is taking care of you. You're supposed to be seeing that there's magical tests everywhere or that everyone's getting the equipment they need. But that's not what we're seeing. Every day, nine out of 10 people that need a test, I'm telling no. Every day I'm reusing a mask that I'm holding in my bedroom because I don't know if I'm going to get one when I go to work. So these are the issues that don't match, right? So the messaging that we need right now is the humility and the honesty that this is a really tough time. And mm. that that's not, that's, that's, that's bad news, but it's real. So that, cause that, creates a level of trauma for the providers on the ground that don't, that like they feel like left out. So that's first of all. And the second thing we need is actual organization, right? Is resources. Like you asked about the immunity, like 
we need a CDC website that has exactly the resources we need for easy to answer questions. Mm. I need to know that there's a centralized processing for all of the protective equipment that the states need so that it's not the Hunger Games. It's not New York mm-hmm. versus California versus Illinois fighting for masks. I, that's not going to help anybody. And so there's a level of um, competition that historically has been allowed between states that in this moment needs to not happen because we're all Americans. And it shouldn't matter if you get sick in New York or California, whether or not your doctor gets a mask. And, and why do you think that isn't the message? Because I don't think they like bad news. And this is bad news. I want to ask you as a parent of three kids, what is the messaging you give to your eight-year-old? Um, and because I think a lot of parents are pretty confused around, in general, what to say to their kids right now. Um, right. So it was funny. Um, when I found out that I was positive, which I think has all these connotations of HIV from when I grew up as a doctor. And so I I think that whenever we talk about people being positive, um, I'm okay to lean into the idea of the terminology, but it reminds me of the stigma that happened um, when HIV and AIDS were coming out. And one of the things that I think is really important about every person who becomes who finds out that they've, you know, contracted, you know, COVID, which is really a respiratory virus, to come out publicly about it is the idea that to destigmatize this concept of anybody's kind of status in any medical condition being um, somehow a burden on who they are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, with my kids, as soon as I found out that I, you know, was positive, I called them and I said, "Don't I make coronavirus look good?" And they're like, you do. And I was like, see, I told you guys, I needed to get you guys out of the house because I knew I was going to get it. I knew I was going to be fine. But, you know, this is this is what Corona looks like, you know. And mm. um, the reason why and my friends were like, did you tell them? And I was like, of course they did. I did. Because in my family, we don't hide things. Um, we talk about truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the other part of it is like, they're going to see a lot of stories out there about lots of different people doing well. And again, they're going to know somebody who's, you know, parent, grandparent is going to pass away from this. Um, Mm. This is going to be a defining moment of their life. Just like the war was in the forties, you know, for those kids who grew up as, you know, kind of world war two kids. Um, That was probably the last time in American history that a, a national crisis defined a generation in that way. Um, I am really honest with my kids. They're not going to hear about the bad things that I see in the hospital because that is a unique experience that I'm going to have. But I probably won't tell my husband about a lot of it either. I will just tell my friends Mm. who are in it with me. Um, There's a cohort of of doctors who are all positive, um, who talk about their symptoms every morning just to make sure that we all are breathing still, you know, Um, and we're worried about each other because we know the, the progression over the days and we want to make sure you get to day seven, day eight, day nine, day 10, and then you're better. <coughs> um, that was my cough for effect. Um, so someone who does come up positive in order to have the best outcome in terms of recovery, what are you seeing with the other doctors is the best protocol besides just stay home and sleep? 
Uh, there isn't. I mean, we're still working on those medications and understanding if they're useful. Uh, the most important thing is to rest and to let your body recover. It's the reason why I am at home right now and trying to minimize as much as I can the stuff that I'm doing. Um, but that's the best. That's it. It's like any virus. The goal is to become symptom free for three days. And if they, they say if you're symptom free for three days, you can get back to work. So that's kind of the metric we're using for now. They say if you're symptom free for three days, you can go back to work. Mm-hmm. Even if you test a positive. Oh, yeah. No kidding. So someone tests because I spoke to someone last week and the requirement for him was 14 days where he wasn't allowed to leave the house. That is a screening protocol if you don't test somebody. So the 14 days is supposed to be from testing to, to make sure you don't develop symptoms. Once you develop symptoms and you're presumed positive, then a new clock can start to say that you're three days symptom free. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, he came up positive and then. And he was uh, told 14 days. He was told 14 days and he was in this basement for a week. Mm -hmm. And he was actually feeling a lot better until he started on some new medication for malaria, he said. And then his his stomach's been really bothering him. That's probably, it's actually probably the virus. So there's a really significant uh, GI component that people have with this virus, both nausea and diarrhea, unfortunately. Um, and so that's probably not related to the medication for malaria. It's probably just his viral syndrome as it is. And it's been um, but for him, way, I mean, it's been over 10 days. Yeah. I have friends that are on 14th, the 14th day of symptoms right now. I mean, it really is hitting lots of people in lots of different ways. What I will say is for me, um, you know, this idea that you wake up and you say, I literally open my eyes and I'm saying, I can breathe today. And I stop. And that's a gift. Mm -hmm. And that is how I am telling everybody that finds out that they have this, that should be their routine every morning. Because if you can wake up and say, I can breathe today. And then you watch your symptoms through the day. It's the days you can't breathe that you need to seek care. Um, and those are the patients we need to take care of. The other symptoms, the muscle aches, the fatigue, even the diarrhea, like that's all stuff we can manage at home. None of those people need to be coming to the hospital, not even for the fever. The only people that need to go to the hospital are the ones that can't breathe. Those are the only people who need to come to the hospital. Right now. The only people. And we need to keep as many of those people out of the hospital as possible. Again, it's not because we don't think that in a regular world, they might've needed something in the hospital, but it's because the closer we keep the numbers down, the more beds we keep open, it doesn't get us to that tipping point by which we start to see people die. So, so let's say 10 people come uh, to the hospital who are concerned about having COVID-19. Out of those 10, roughly, how many actually can't breathe or having trouble breathing? Like one in 10. One it's in like, 10, it's like one, actually. Two. It's the other nine in 10 that are coming to the hospital that actually don't really need to be in the hospital. Right. Probably. Yeah. And again, it's not, the problem is right now is figuring out who that looks like, but at the same time, um, you know, we don't want people not to come if they're scared. Like we really do want people to seek care if they are, um, in trouble, but remember that that's what telemedicine is for. So, uh, how can somebody who's listening do telemedicine with your group? So the reality is, is that um, in any, every hospital system, so I work at um, NYP, which is near Presbyterian. Um, and so you can go to the app of NYP, download it from the app store and click a virtual visit. NYU has one as well. Mount Sinai has one as well. Uh, there are- Are those uh, for New York residents or anyone in the so, country? So actually 
It depends on the license of your doctor, of the doctor on call. So I have licenses in four states. So I could see somebody in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, or Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So when they say who they are and where they live, it'll give them an option of the doctors available if there are um, options of doctors that are available without licensing your state. So it sounds like the best solution for anyone listening is to maybe look at the hospitals in their area, right. see what's available in terms of telehealth. Most of these websites supply those, it seems now? Yeah. So Google actually should work well here. So you could probably put in telehealth visit into your Google like browser and it should select for your local telehealth opportunities. So because that's the beauty of the Google algorithm. So uh, it should put in telehealth visit Mm -hmm. and then the hospitals that serve your local area probably will come up top. And then there's a couple of national programs like uh, Doctors on Demand or a teledoc that might serve everywhere that you are. Um, But that's how I would do it. And I would say if anyone is concerned about their symptoms or has another problem, right? The other issue we're seeing right now is um, making sure that people have regular problems. So a rash or a urinary tract infection or sinus pain or something else can have somewhere to seek care because we're really encouraging them not to go to the hospital. What are your socials so that if someone wants to continue hearing your point of view or seeing the latest research, I imagine you'll retweet something that comes out. What is your uh, social media handle so people can follow you? So uh, the best way is on Twitter, which is just at Dara Cass. Um, That is D-A-R-A-K-A-S-S, just one word. Uh, That is probably the most useful way to follow the things that I think are important about this moment. I, the other social handles aren't like Instagram is the same, but I'm not, I don't use that as much for medical information because it's not, it's just not the portal that I think is that important on that, in that way. Um, and then Facebook, not, again, not for like that kind of stuff. So I would yeah, say so Twitter, Twitter so what, so someone would want to follow that's D A R A K A S S. Uh, Dara is going to continue to tweet out over time as, as you have different solutions or different things yeah. that people can follow you with. Um, so that, because I think that's part of the issue right now is you don't know who to follow. You don't know who to talk to. And being that you're a medical doctor and you also have COVID-19, I can't think of someone better to help provide information to the general public. And I, and you'll see through our Twitter feeds, like my feed, you'll see me retweet people that I trust. Right. So other doctors, other emergency medicine doctors, other resources for um, who to listen to on on medications or, uh, you know, the diagnostics. Where are their testing locally? One of the biggest questions that people ask me is, where do I get tested? Mm -hmm. And the answer actually changes every single day. Um, The other thing I will say is that if we keep following our, our state leaders, so our governors, right, that's probably the other best resource right now for people in their own environment. Mm. Not every governor is acting in the way that we want them to, right? We had governors of certain states tweeting that they were at restaurants with their family after certain states had put lockdowns in place. So I can't say that everyone's behaving perfectly, but I can say that on the, for the most part, you know, people are really coming around and those are the local leaders that you can depend on to give you a sense of what's happening in your community. And that's um, really important. 
Well, Dara, thank you so much for doing this with me and providing this information. Um, super helpful. Uh, I'm going to go follow you on Twitter now. Lucky me. I'll, I'll follow you back. Okay, cool. And so if you guys have any questions, um, uh, make sure to uh, follow us on Twitter and talk about the episode. And also just really appreciate you taking the time and your very busy schedule uh, with having kids and uh, having so many people probably reaching out to you. I really appreciate you taking this time. So thanks for having me, Mike. I really had a good time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Coach Mike podcast. I have an ask for you. And what I'm asking is that you click to subscribe. And also, I would greatly appreciate it. You could also rate this podcast. Look forward to delivering you more content that helps you be your best self. Stay safe, stay informed, stay inspired. And I will talk to you very soon.